God, how great thou art. The great I am, how great and marvelous and mighty thou art. We are gathered here this morning, Lord, to be in your presence. To be in the presence of the great I am. To meet you. To know you. To learn from you and learn about you. Enrich us now with your spirit. Enrich us with the presence of your son, Jesus. That our spirits and our lives might become more in sync with your purpose, your desires. That we might be the people you fashioned and created us to be. Meet us in the teaching and preaching from your scriptures. Meet us in grace and forgiveness in the meal. We commend ourselves this space, this time, this morning, into your great and wondrous hands. Through Christ's name we pray. Amen. Why don't you have a seat as we hear a reading? Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the lands were filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them into forced labor, and they built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a piperous basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of water. One day, after Moses had grown up, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard them groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now Moses was tending a flock, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, 
God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Egyptians, of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm Pastor Andrew, and uh, we are continuing on with this story. It is a sermon series where we are going to be splitting over the next three summers. This summer is our first summer. We're already on week four. It seems to be flying by, uh, but we are taking the entire biblical narrative, the entire biblical story, and we are looking at kind of a big picture of that story, big themes, big understandings, and tracking through that story over the next three summers. We are going to be uh, flying uh, through today's story because we're going to be covering the beginning of the book of Exodus, and we're going to be going through like not only like one, two, or three chapters, but like like 15, 20 chapters today. So buckle in, strap in. We are going to rock and roll and cover some ground today because the story that we're going to be covering is one of the biggest and most profound stories in the entire scriptures. It's one that has continued to be celebrated to this very day as one of the most important stories of our faith. And so Uh, If you do have a Bible and you want to try to keep up, uh, it's going to be Exodus. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And just to give you guys a frame of reference on kind of some of the things that have been happening so far in the story. So if you remember back to Genesis in the very beginning, God created heaven and the earth, and he blessed humanity. And he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Here is my blessing that I give to you. But through some circumstances, through some decisions, and through some choices evil entered the world. Evil became part of the reality of the world, and the blessing was forfeit as a result of that evil. So God decided, you know what? I am still dedicated to my creation. I'm committed to my creation. I'm going to bring that blessing still into this world, but I'm going to have to do it through a unique way. I'm going to do it through a single person. A single person is going to be the beginning of how I reintroduce my blessing. This one person and their descendants will eventually be a blessing to all the world, to all the nations. That one person, his name is... Abraham. Yeah, I heard it. I heard it. Abraham. And we looked at the call of Abraham two weeks ago. Abraham and his family is doing well. Uh, He has kids and he has grandkids. And eventually he has a grandson. His grandson's name is Joseph, who we looked at last week. And this is where we're kind of picking the story up. Last week, we finished by looking at how Joseph had, had become a head honcho in the land of Egypt, the nation of Egypt. Even though he was a foreigner originally, he became second in command to all of Egypt, and he invited his family to come and stay with him. He said, look, guys, I'm head honcho here. You know, it's going to be safe here. I got food. I'm going to take care of you. So come down, live with me. So, so, so his family, Joseph's family, 
comes and lives with Joseph, and time passes. Time goes on, and you begin to see that the the, the original blessing of being fruitful and multiplying is actually happening. God's plan is working. Time passes so much so, decades, centuries pass, 400 years pass, and then this is the way it picks up in Exodus 1-7. It, it alludes back to that first part of Genesis. It says, the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied, were exceedingly strong, so the land was filled with them. Basically, God's plan to reintroduce blessing is taking place and happening. And it's happening through this people, who are no longer just a couple families and extended cousins. Now, now they fill the land. There's tons of them. Joseph's got not only a couple of grandkids and great-grandchildren, he's got oodles and oodles of great-grandkids. There's tons and tons of these Hebrews, these Israelites, that, that are descendants of this line. Well, not everybody is a fan of the reality that God is trying to bring a blessing back into this world. In fact, so much time passes that this new guy is now in charge of Egypt, and he's not such a fan of this blessed people multiplying so vigorously. It says a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So a new guy's in charge, and he doesn't remember what Joseph did for Egypt. In fact, as far as he's concerned, he is large and in charge. He is the king. He is the man. In fact, he goes by the name of Pharaoh. Have you guys heard the name Pharaoh before or that title before? Come on, anyone watch the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? Yeah, right? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Great. Okay, so Pharaoh was the guy who wore the really funny hat, the really big hat. He's Pharaoh. He's the king in the land. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh is associated with evil, with fear and oppression and evil. Because just as God is, is working to multiply blessing in the world, so too evil has been busy and evil is at work. And we learned before that when you let evil grow unattended, it gets pretty big, pretty fast, in a pretty big, nasty way. And so evil has got its grips on this guy, Pharaoh. The power and control that Pharaoh has has gone to the guy's head. You see, he's, he's, he's so concerned about keeping his power. He's so concerned about, about making sure he stays Pharaoh, that he is in control, that he begins to redefine and make all these commands, right? And so he's looking at the Jewish people, and he commands his Egyptians to say, look, it's time that we oppress them. Let's put them in slavery. Because if the Hebrew people rise up, if, if they grab a couple spears and decide to overthrow the government... Uh, that's no good, guys. we got to get a handle on this. And so he oppresses and enslaves the Jewish Hebrew people. So Pharaoh becomes a dictator. And, and he's so concerned with, with this fear and angst and anxiety in his heart, and evil is sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into his own person. He's getting bigger and bigger in terms of how he imagines himself, that it actually was common in that time, in that culture, to, to associate Pharaoh as being a god. Pharaoh is the man, so much so that he's the god. And so you'd worship the guy. If you're just a regular Joe Schmo, and there's this guy named Pharaoh out there, he is so elevated in that culture that you would worship him as a god. 
Pharaoh has in his own way and through his own decisions has allowed evil to so take over his person that he is now considering himself a rival God to the one true God, to the Hebrew God. As far as Pharaoh is concerned, he's a demigod, he's divine. Out of his divinity, out of his divine power, Pharaoh decrees this oppression on the people of Hebrew, the Hebrew people. And, 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 and the description here is so good. It's such a raw word. It says the Egyptians became ruthless. I mean, what comes to mind when you hear that word ruthless? I mean, they were ruthless in how they, they, they enslaved and how they managed and, and how they made them build cities and they threw them out there with brick and clay and straw and, and they had to fashion and build these big cities for their Egyptian overseers, their Egyptian masters, and the Egyptians were ruthless in how they treated the Hebrew people. And things get so bad, Pharaoh gets so upset and so angry at the Hebrew people, he's so concerned, and evil is taking such deep root, that he makes the decree, you know what, just to keep things in our power and control, we're going to kill every single one of the Hebrew boys. So every Hebrew boy that comes from now on, into the Nile, drowned, gone. We'll keep the ladies around, we'll just breed the Israelites out of existence. We're just going to breed them out of existence. It'll be that simple. And so Pharaoh, Pharaoh decrees the slaughter of all these Hebrew children. Here's what's happening in the story. Pharaoh fashioning himself now as a god has so redefined right and wrong that the one true God lays down, he has so redefined it that now killing innocent children is considered right, good, and in the best interest of the state. And isn't this accurate? Isn't this true? I mean, when you think of people, when you think of lives, when you think of our own world, your life, my life, everybody's life, when, when we fashion ourselves as gods, I mean, we do that sometimes, right? We want to be in control. We want to have our say. We want to have our way. And we can even redefine and justify things. And, and we can redefine what's good and right in such a way that it, it lends itself to our own advantage. Pharaoh is an example of how deep and concerning the reality of evil in our world is. Because when it takes over your life, it can so twist you and so destroy you that you yourself redefine right and wrong and cause destruction upon others. Whoa. Now, God is an incredible God, and I think he's also got a sense of humor. I mean, he did make us after all, right? He's got a sense of humor, and he's looking at this situation. He's concerned about it. And so God actually uses that which Pharaoh intended for evil. God intervenes in such a way as to turn things upside down. And so he chooses one of these Hebrew boys that gets floated along the Nile, that's just supposed to be off in oblivion, and God chooses that child to be the one who's actually going to deliver the Hebrew people from Pharaoh. I mean, that's cool. That's incredible. 
God intervenes in such a way as to take the most unlikely, the most oppressed, the most, the most, the one who's got, I mean, Moses has got nothing going for him right now, floating down in a basket, you know? I mean, he's headed one direction. As soon as eventually the Nile empties out, that basket's going down. And yet God chooses the most unlikely candidate to become his champion and his hero so as to deliver his people. So that's what takes place. Moses, you heard it, you heard the story of his calling there. God comes to him and calls him and says, Moses, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to be with you. I am the great I am. And I'm going to walk you through this process, Moses. Because Moses, the real battle here is not going to be between you and Pharaoh. Yes, that's what it looks like on the outside. It looks like this shouting match between Moses and Pharaoh. But behind the scenes, what's really taking place are, are much more significant stakes. Much bigger players than just a guy who thinks he's a god and a guy who's got a cool staff that can do cool things. What's really happening here is God is going toe-to-toe and confronting evil in our world. God, the one true, eternal, righteous God, is going toe-to-toe with evil in this world in Pharaoh, and through Pharaoh to the rest of the world, God's taking on evil. And what's amazing is that, that, that through this whole exchange, it's, it's, it's God is even compassionate enough to try to rescue Pharaoh. He keeps giving Pharaoh chances to repent and let go. I mean, every time, come on, how many of you have seen the Charlton Heston movie I'm talking about? You know the Ten Commandment one? Okay, so those that you do know it, if you don't know it, you can find it at the library or something like that. Oh, it's so good. Come on, it's like on late night AMC. You guys know what I'm talking about. At least once a year it runs like all night because it's like six hours long, right? But it's this big moment where Pharaoh and, and Moses are going back and forth and there's this confrontation between them. And Moses is saying, look, God wants you, Pharaoh, to let his people go. Let my people go, right? You can just picture Charlton. Let my people go, right? That's pretty good. That's not too bad. Right? But that's what, you know, you all heard that line before, maybe. You've seen Prince of Egypt, maybe, the cartoon. I mean, this is such an incredible story. It continues to this day being retold and retold. But, so, so Moses goes toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, and behind the scenes, God's going toe-to-toe with evil here. And, and things get nasty. They have these plagues. You guys heard of the ten plagues before? Yeah? Okay, so these, these are nasty plagues. You guys remember some of those? Shout one out if you know a plague. What are, give me some examples of some of those plagues. Locusts, yeah, that's a nasty one. What's another one? Frogs. Everybody remembers the frogs too, right? I mean, that's nasty. A bunch of frogs. Imagine the wart problem they had afterwards. Like, ooh, that's nasty stuff, right? Yeah, so frogs, the locusts, the flies, the sores, right? The boils. Ooh, glad I missed that one, right? I mean, nasty. I mean, these plagues are really bad and really, 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 really harmful. And eventually, it becomes this, this power match. And, and you begin to see that every time in the first five plagues, God, God says, I'm going to work these miracles and these wonders, and it's going to strike fear into Pharaoh's heart. So Pharaoh will be moved to repentance and, and let my people go, right? And so he, he does these, these plagues. And at first, evil is strong enough so as to keep pace. And that's an indication to how strong evil is in our world. Evil has enough strength that it can actually uh, mimic some of the wonders that, that God is doing through Moses, some of the magicians and some of 
Pharaoh's guys are like, Psh, no big deal. You made a snake. I'll make a snake. And so they have these snakes that uh, fight one another. But eventually, the deeper you go into the plagues, after the fifth plague, they no longer can keep pace with the eternal and true God. You see, evil has its limits. Evil has its boundaries. And the true God is powerful enough so as to have no boundaries. He is all-powerful. And evil can't keep pace with what God is doing to deliver His people. So eventually the final plague comes, the tenth and last plague. And this is this is this is hard. There's no easy way to say this. this is no nice way to dress this up. It's a it's it's a plague of destruction, where every firstborn child in all of Egypt is killed and destroyed, along with every firstborn uh, flock, uh, animal, livestock. And so God uses these plagues, uses these wonders of destruction, to both show His power and to move against evil. Pharaoh, Pharaoh is so interwoven with evil. Evil has such deep hooks into Pharaoh and his life and the way he thinks that Pharaoh won't let go despite the, the growing plagues and what's taking place. He kind of bats it back and forth. Yes, I'll let you go. No, I won't let you go. Yes, I... No. He always ends up at, no, I'm not going to do it. Because it, evil has... And this is what happens when evil gets into our lives. It, it, it takes... It's like a weed. It grows and it grows and it grows and it becomes harder and it entangles us and it gets harder to figure out right from wrong and all this stuff. And that's where Pharaoh is. He's so wrapped in evil that he himself cannot let go of evil. Because evil has so fully consumed him. And, and eventually, after the last plague, he says, fine, get out of here. Leave me. I don't want anything to do with you. Take your people, Moses. Take the Hebrews and leave. And as soon as they're out the door, as soon as they're gone, Pharaoh looks at this. He calls his officials together. And even in that moment, he holds on to his fear. He holds on to his anger. He holds on to the evil that, that's consuming him. And he says, we're going to go after them. This was a bad decision. Time to go get them, bring them back, and re-enslave them. And so God is bringing the people out, and Pharaoh is chasing and eventually it brings them to a sea called the Red Sea. You've heard of this big moment before, right? And what happens is, is, is Pharaoh is chasing the people, and Moses is desperate, saying, God, did you just bring us out here to die? What's up, man? Come on, help me out here. God says, stretch out your hand. He stretches out his hand. And God actually peels back the water, displaying the ultimate miracle. I mean, he, he makes a way where there is no way. God makes a way where there is no apparent way. Where it looks like there's only destruction, only evil. It looks like evil's going to win, and God makes a way. And he parts the sea, and the people pass through. And right, right then, right as the people are getting out, Pharaoh is chasing, Pharaoh is launching arrows, Pharaoh is trying to catch up and destroy God shuts the door. And because of Pharaoh's greed and, and, 
constant dedication to evil, it actually ends up consuming him to a point where it destroys him. Because the floodwaters come back. And Pharaoh and everybody that he's around drowns. And so Pharaoh learns, and we learn, and the Hebrew people, I mean, it makes abundantly clear, God is God, humanity is not. God is God, evil is not God, God is God. This story is so important for the Hebrew people, for Jewish persons, uh, that, that to this day, they continue to retell it, revisit it, and share it. I mean, to today, they do this. Like now. And when they do that, they are, they are re- remembering, they are coming back to two significant things. Two main points that this story shows about our God. First off. Their God, the Hebrew God, he is willing to confront evil. He doesn't bow down to evil. He doesn't keep it at arm's length. He doesn't ignore it. He actually engages it. He steps up and he goes toe-to-toe with evil. He fights for his people against evil. And in doing so, he actually delivers and rescues people. God fights against evil, and in doing so, He brings deliverance to people where it looks like there is no way out. God makes a way to bring them to a new land, a new place, a new hope, leaving behind the oppression, the slavery, the Egyptian masters, and the evil that so overshadowed their lives. God fights evil. God also delivers his people as he fights evil. They remember this in two ways. One is called the Song of the Sea. It's in Exodus 15. Uh, write that down somewhere. Read it sometime this week. Read Exodus 15. Uh, it's, it's one of the first uh, worship songs. What happens is as soon as they get done, as soon as they get through this whole like Red Sea thing, and they're looking back like, whoa, like, wow, look at what has taken place. The people gather up and they have a worship service. They, they actually worship, and they sing. And this is one of the first, first songs that we find in the Bible, the Song of the Sea. And, and in the song, this is what they, they acclaim to God. They credit God as saying, God, you raised your right hand. You are strong, and you are mighty, and who can withstand your power? Evil can't. Pharaoh can't. You are the true God. You are all-powerful. You are almighty. You have chosen to intervene and fight against the evil of this world, God. God, you raise your right hand and your right shield and you swing a sword that is mighty and powerful and you cut down and destroy evil. And Lord, as you've done that, you have brought your people to a new land. You are bringing your people out from oppression. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer bound by the confines of the sinful condition we found ourselves in. This is what they sing about. Not only that, but they commemorate a meal, the Passover meal. How many of you have ever heard of the word Passover before? Okay, so good, good many of you, good many of you, yes. Passover, to this day, I mentioned that Jewish brothers and sisters in faith celebrate this meal, like now. 
And in fact, as, as Christians, this is a hugely important story for us and a hugely important commemoration is Passover. Jesus himself celebrates what? He celebrates Passover. Remembering how God fought evil and delivered his people. I mean, this is, this is so good. This is so powerful. This is so amazing. Because this is what it teaches us about this ongoing story that we're examining. That in the beginning, we learned how God is, is utterly, this creator God is utterly committed to his creation. And he uses people like Abraham and Joseph to accomplish it. People like you and me. And as he's working this story out, he is confronting evil. He is facing evil in people and around the world. And as he does that, he is delivering people. He seeks to deliver all people all around the world. This is the kind of God the Hebrews have. This is your God. This is your God. You see, I guarantee there are going to be things of evil in your life. Inside of you, around you, there is going to be, the, is going to be evil and temptation and pain and suffering that's going to try to sink its hooks into you. There, there, I made a huge list. Listen to this list of things that you might be wrestling with in terms of evil. There's evil in our world. There's injustice. There's racism. There's hate. There's bad body image. There's debt. There's stress. God's fighting that. You see, see, see if, you're, if you're struggling with evil in your life and around the world, you need to know God is fighting the evil in your life. God is fighting for you. He is fighting things like pride. He's fighting things like addiction. He is fighting things like arrogance, anger, violence, obsession, shopping addictions, guilt, fear, shame. He is fighting these things, gossip, loss, pain, your inability to, to, to be humble before your spouse. He's fighting for you in that. Your, your, your want and desire to throw that zinger at your own child. He's fighting the temptation and the evil that's trying to get a hold of you because he wants to deliver you. Your God fights evil in your life, in your person, around your world. God is confronting evil for you. For you. For your redemption. For your deliverance. You see, that's what God does when we look at our lives and we think we're so overwhelmed like there is nowhere to go, where we are met by a sea and there's no place and there's no way and you can feel the evil in our lives encroaching on us and you begin to get peppered with Pharaoh's arrows and some of those arrows land and they hurt and they suck. It stinks. It's painful in life. And it looks like there's no way out. This is where God intervenes and says, Look, I am fighting the evil that is chasing you. And I'm bringing you to a new land, a new heaven, a new earth, a new place. Where evil will be no more. And there is only life. And I will be your God. And you won't have these propped up pharaohs anymore. And so he parts the waters. And we as God's people walk through on dry land. 
There is no greater example to how committed God is to, to, to fighting evil than the cross itself. This is the climax of the story. I'm jumping ahead. I'll give you the ending, okay? God faces evil at the cross and brings through that, through that sacrifice deliverance. He makes a way. He parts the waters so that you and I can actually pass through waters. We call them the waters of baptism. Have you ever been baptized? You have already experienced an exodus. You have been brought from the life before to the life of the future. God is working, pulling you through the waters of baptism into his future and his promise and his deliverance to a new heaven and a new earth, to a new life where evil and oppression and Pharaoh is no more. This is your God. He fights for you. And through the cross, He drove a stake into the ground to deliver you. And He has made a way, and He now pulls you through and invites you to walk. Walk through the water into a new life, into a new promise. This is the Exodus of the Scriptures. It's not just once in one story. It's here today. With that, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you reached down in time and drew close and delivered your people. You heard the cries of Israel amidst their pain and their suffering and the evil and you sought to deliver them and bring them to a new place and a new life. So too with us you hear our cries. So too with us you hear the pain and the suffering that reverberates in our own lives. And through the cross you have, you have created a new way where there was none. And you have given us the waters of baptism in which to pass through. We thank you. We praise you. For as you have delivered your people back in this time of Moses, so too now you deliver us. It is with great humility and thanksgiving that we give you our thanks this morning and ask for your continued deliverance in our lives, in our world. We pray this as we trust in hoping in that future land, that future place. It's through Christ's name that we pray. Amen.